Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. So if you're ready for the word this morning, can you shout amen? Amen. All right. Any, any teenagers here? Any teenagers? Make some noise. Now, the, the adults are always far more excited to be in church than the... Than the any, any adults here this morning? Any married people here this morning? Any single people here this morning? Always far more energy than the parents, the single people. We just made it to church. Praise God. Um, I just said, uh, before, uh, before I get into the word, I'm, I'm married. I've got two. I've got a picture of my kids because I'm missing them. I haven't seen them for like a day and a half. Actually, that's a lie. I'm not missing my kids. I've been, I've been on holidays for three weeks. I've been with them every minute of the day. Um, that's my little boy, Sullivan. And uh, that's my daughter, Madison. That's my wife, Katie. And um, the ugly guy there is me. We should have photoshopped him out and uh, that would be a great photo. But uh, my, my son, Sullivan, has a really powerful biblical name. He, we named him after the monster from Monsters, Inc. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's that. Anyway, Word of God. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can go to Luke chapter 10. Some people love the Word of God here this morning. Luke chapter 10 says this, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, and he sent them out two by two into every city and place where he himself was about to go. He said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs amongst wolves. And I love this. I love this. This is almost one of Jesus' William Wallace moments. He sent out the 12 disciples, and they started doing good. They started really reaching, started doing amazing things, and realized, hey, the, there, there is so much more work to be done. So he rallies another 70 people, and this is his speech to fire them up, to get them excited about going to reach the world, to begin to spread the gospel, to begin to heal the sick and, and do incredible things. This is his moment where he begins to gather uh, people, and, and he sort of makes this statement, the harvest is plentiful, the harvest is ready, and, and everybody knows, I mean, we're in a church service right now, and I'm looking out at a sea of masks. It is a crazy time to be alive. Like, I remember a few weeks ago, I went to Subway, and I'd forgot my mask, and I didn't, I really wanted Subway, I love my Subway, and, uh, and so I didn't have a mask, so I, I tied a jumper around my face. And I remember walking up to the doors and seeing my reflection in the mirror and I've got a jumper wrapped around my face and that is considered normal behaviour in 2012. I'm like, this is, this is crazy. It's, it's a really weird time that we're living in. And what we know more than ever is that our cities, our, our, our towns, our neighbourhoods need a move of God. If you believe that, can you say amen? We, we need a move of God. There is, there is craziness in government. There is craziness in the world. There is craziness everywhere we look. We, we need to see a move of God. And Jesus declared over your town, over your neighborhood, over your street, that the harvest is ready. The laborers are few. In fact, he didn't say pray for the harvest. He said pray for the workers. And I know that I've been in a lot of prayer meetings praying for the harvest. But Jesus didn't say pray for the harvest. He said pray for the workers. Because the harvest is already out there. In John 4, it says, lift your eyes. The harvest is already 
prepared, it's white, it's ready, it's ready to be brought in. The harvest is ready, it's the laborers that Jesus is wanting to stir. And in this moment, he has 70 people and he's beginning to fire them up to send them out. And he says, the harvest is ready, therefore pray that the Lord would send out harvesters. Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Now as I was reading this, I just it caught my attention the analogy that Jesus used. He could have used any analogy that he wanted. But he says, behold, I send you out as lambs amongst wolves. Now, I don't know if you, you know much about animals, but in an, in an animal fight, that, that's not a good matchup. It's who's the biggest person in here, the tallest person? If you think you're tall, just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, come over here. Yeah, you tall, tall guy. What's his name? Jacob, Jacob. come on, come on. And who's probably the smallest? Who, I need someone really little. Someone really small, like a kid. Actually, Jake, you just come up. We'll get Jake. Yeah, actually, let's sit down, bro. A, what's your name, buddy? Edward Ryan Hooper. Woohoo! He knows what's going on now. So, this, this is a lamb. Against a wolf. This is how Jesus said that he's sending out these 70. Just think about that. This is his stirring, you know, like, whoo, Jesus, fill us with faith. Yeah, I'm sending you out as, as lambs amongst wolves. What? Jesus, did he get that wrong? Did he, did he mean it the other way around? I'm sending you out as lambs amongst wolves. I wanted to actually bring a real-life lamb in here this morning, and I probably could have got one, actually. Ray, Ray's probably got heaps and, and, done a, and got a real-life wolf and just put them at the front of the stage and just see what happens. We, what would happen? We would have had a real-life animal sacrifice right here in Murray Bridge. It would not have... We should have done that. We'll do that next time. A lamb versus a wolf is a bad matchup. And when, when Jesus said, that's how I'm saying, have you ever felt intimidated or overwhelmed or outnumbered in your workplace? Have you ever felt not like the, like the king, but have you felt intimidated? Have you felt scared? Have you felt overwhelmed in the presence of non-Christians? Have you ever felt like that? Maybe you're just feeling like a lamb amongst wolves. See, Jesus, Jesus was always careful in what he said, and he was always purposeful in what he meant. And when he said, behold, I send you out as lambs amongst wolves, he was recognizing that you at times feel like you're, you're not the, the one that's dominating. You might feel like the one that's smaller. You might not feel like the one that is victorious. You might feel like the one that is perhaps intimidated. You might not feel like the one that is the overcomer. You might feel like the one that is shrinking back. But there's a few things about the lamb that the wolf doesn't have. And the first thing is this, and we find it in verse 19. It says, he sent the 70 out. And it says this, they came back with joy and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And hear this, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all over the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. You see, what the lamb has that the wolf doesn't have is authority. And while you might be bigger, what's your name again? Jacob. This guy has authority and he will smash you. He will, he will take you out. You are no match for him because he has been given the power to trample all over you 
and all over whatever you're trying to do to him, and just start hitting him, actually. You can just start punching him. Just, just start punching him in the legs. No, like, properly. Like, just start kicking him, you know? Like, go. Because as a lamb, understand, you might not feel like the big one, but you have authority. So in your workplace, you might feel like you're outnumbered, but you have authority. And the Bible declares over you, nothing shall by any means hurt you. You might feel in your family, as, a non, as, a, as the only Christian in your family, you might feel like a lamb amongst wolves, but you have authority. You have power to trample all over the work of the enemy, so you can stand bold and you can... Come on, bro, just kick him a bit more. That's a really polite kid, whoever's kid that is. Like, if that was my son, you would be like, that guitar would be on your head. Like, I should have brought him, but you have authority. So... When you feel outnumbered, you feel overwhelmed, understand that's not a, 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 an unbiblical feeling because Jesus said, hey, I'm sending you out as lambs amongst wolves. But the best thing a, a lamb has that a wolf doesn't is a shepherd. So even though you might feel like you're alone, you're never alone. The main job of a shepherd is to protect his flock from the wolves. Man, if I had a stick right now, I should have brought a shepherd stick because as his shepherd, I would just begin to hit you with it. (laughs) Because that's my job as a shepherd. My job is to protect the flock. And as a lamb, understand that you you are more powerful than you think. You have more authority than you think. You have more, more inside of you than you realize. One, because you have authority and you have a shepherd. And so when it comes to this harvest that's ready, this harvest that is right outside our door, it's right out next door to your house, it's, it's next door in your cubicle at work, it's in your family that don't know Christ, this harvest that's ready, and you might feel shy and timid and afraid, but you have authority in a shepherd so you can begin to be bold and courageous and begin to step out of your comfort zone because you have what it takes. And as we begin to step into that space, amazing stories begin to flow. Can we thank the, the wolf and the lamb? Good job, bro. I'll, I'll just take it. You have authority and you have a shepherd. You know, one of the things that I got saved when I was 18 in a, in a high school. And pretty much from that moment, I just felt boldness to talk to people about Jesus. It didn't matter where I was, what was the context, what was the setting. There was a passion and a joy in me. I discovered how good Jesus was. And when, when there's something good in your life, you want to tell everybody about it. When there's something that's you, you really support, you know, I was talking to Jake this morning about coffee, and he's so passionate about coffee, starting a coffee shop, and, and you start to talk about the things that, that you're passionate about. He talked about Jesus as well, which is good for a church planner, but um, you, you talk about the things that you, you're passionate about, the things that you have been impacted by, and, and I always had uh, a confidence to talk about Jesus, but as uh, in the last, I'm, I'm 34 now, and I've been in in sort of ministry as a youth pastor and a campus pastor and different bits and pieces for really the last 13 or 14 years. And one of the things that, that always comes up is, is the fear and the anxiety that people feel when it comes to witnessing, when it comes to talking about Christ, when it comes to inviting people to church. There, there is often, for some people, there's a boldness, but for a lot of people, there, there, is, a, there is a timidity and there's something... That, that is in us that, that just kind of wants to, maybe feels like a lamb amongst wolves. But understand that feeling is normal. 
but understand that there is something I hope God stirs in your heart today that you don't have to stay in that timidity, but you can step up and go, hang on, there's a boldness and a courage in me that can begin to share people the good news about who Jesus is. If you're with me, can you say amen? amen. And so I want to bust some myths about evangelism. I want to bust a few myths that people have believed, that I have believed at times when it comes to uh, reaching out in the hope that it can encourage you to step out when it comes to your family, friends, and anyone around you who doesn't know Jesus. Myth number one that people have believed and that I've heard is, I don't have much to say. People have often come to me when it came to evangelism thinking, I don't, I don't really have much to say. But I want to encourage you right now. You have so much to say. You have so much to say. The Bible declares about overcoming the enemy that he was overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. There is power in your story. And the fact that you're in love with Jesus, the fact that he saved you means that you have something to say. You might not feel like your story is that amazing or that impressive or, or that I have very much that is uh, just that, that will blow people away. Hey, you have something to say. You can just simply tell people about how good Jesus is to you. You can tell people simply that Jesus loves them. But really your story and the testimony of your life is what can really make an impact in somebody else's. And it's not just the good times, it's the tough times as well, the story of overcoming, the story of healing, the story of restoration, the story of perhaps brokenness that God healed, that is a powerful testimony, which means that you have something to say. And when you realize that you're more anointed than you think, you're more powerful than you think, you've got more to say than you realize, and understand that your story can unlock somebody else's life. The testimony of what Jesus has done for you, it can change somebody's entire walk. It can change their world. So don't believe the lie that you don't have anything to say because you have something to say. And everyone who believes that they have something to say this morning gave God a shout of praise. Amen. You have something to say. You have something to say. Myth number two that people have believed is, I'm not going to bother reaching out because they'll just say no. I'm not going to bother inviting someone to church or, or asking someone to the event or the Christmas program. I'm not going to bother engaging in a conversation about Jesus because they'll just say no. And that's a lie from the enemy. Don't believe that lie for one second. You know, when I got saved, I bumped into a couple of guys who were at my high school. And we were at this Christian conference and I'd just been saved and they came up to me and they said, Jono, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah, I just got saved. And they, and they said, we've been Christians for, for years. And I looked at them with this anger and, and I, was, I was a new believer. But I was like, and I, I said to them, why did you never tell me about Jesus? Why did you never invite me to your youth group or your church? And they were like, and then I kind of walked away. And I thought like, if you had knowledge of this, why didn't you tell me? Because the Jesus that I encountered changed my life. The, the love, the grace, the acceptance, the freedom, the, the, the purpose, the hope that I felt when I encountered Jesus. I was like, why would you keep that a secret from me? And I, I knew in that moment, and I've experienced time and time again, people are more hungry for God and more open for God than we think. Don't, don't listen to the lie from the enemy for one second that people will say no. Because, in fact, there was a study done recently in uh, Luke chapter 19, there's a verse, the story of Zacchaeus, 
and uh, he basically has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus comes to his house. Um, there's a moment of repentance, a moment of restoration, and Jesus says these words, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. He didn't say, today salvation has come to you. He said, salvation has come to your house. Now, the word house in that story is the Hebrew word oikos, which really, it, it references household. And what that word means is, it's not just uh, your house, but it's everybody directly connected to you. So what Jesus said is, today salvation has come to you and your oikos, your household meaning everybody connected to you. Now, does that mean that when Zacchaeus got saved, everyone in his household got saved? No, because everyone needs to choose to accept Christ. The literal meaning of that encounter was, today the ability and salvation has come so near to you and everyone in your house. The moment that you're saved, the moment that you call upon the name of Jesus, not only has that, that salvation uh, ability, that power, it now hovers over your whole family. It hovers over your entire oikos. And as you, as you realize that it's not only come to you, but if you've got unsaved parents, there is a salvation that is now hovering over them that Jesus declared. There is, this, there is, a, there is a bed of opportunity around you that has come because of your decision to say yes to Jesus. And a study was done in, in America, but we put it to the test in Tasmania, and, and the study was that of everyone who was invited to church in somebody's direct family, in their oikos, seven out of the ten people said yes. Out of, out of ten people directly connected to somebody, when invited to church, seven out of the ten said yes. And so... We moved back to Tassie. Um, we're on our way to New Zealand. Uh, Pastor Josh mentioned I'm part of a church called Kingdom City. We're going to be a part of our church over there. But because of the borders, we're just stuck in Tassie. So I'm actually on long service leave, just like having a holiday, just loving life and loving the Lord, waiting. And uh, we'll probably start actually a church in Hobart in that time that we're waiting. So if you know anyone in Hobart not in the church, let me know after the service because we're probably going to do that while we wait. But um, as we were, now I forgot what I was going to say. I sidetracked myself with my ADD uh, household. We, we were back in Tassie, and, um, and so we had a service. So we just didn't, none of uh, our family go to church except my mum. And so we invited my dad, who's almost an atheist. We invited my, my wife's mother. She passed away, and she was a believer, but the rest of her family's angry at God because they were believing for healing, but she passed away. And so when it comes to God, they're very far from God. But we invited all of them, all the aunties, the uncles. The, we, invited about, we invited 10 different people to church. And six of them came. I remember ringing my dad, who never, who's never been interested to, to come to church. And I rang and said, hey, dad, church is on 10 o'clock on Sunday. Would you like to come? And he said, yes. And I went, <laughs> he said, yeah. Like, it was amazing to me. And then my next thought was, why didn't I ask him like 10 years ago? See, the issue with the invitation is often that it's just not given. I had a, I had a seventh birthday party, and a long story short, nobody came. Seven years old. Yeah. Cry for me. I cry for myself. Seven years old at the Pizza Hut. I was waiting. I had my birthday party. I told all my friends, invited my whole classroom. And uh, Saturday came just before 2 o'clock, waiting there, woo, excited. Oh, you can eat Pizza Hut, ice cream, jelly, pizza. It's going to be the best day, party bags. Sitting there waiting and just, 
as it gets closer to 2 o'clock, there's just no one turning up. And as the, 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 the arrival time came and went, we realized, hey, no one's coming to this party. And part of me was devastated. Part of me thought, well, that's 20 lolly bags for me, so I don't really care. And, uh, and so afterwards, my mum's devastated. She's crying. She's so upset. And she starts ringing all these parents. How could you do this to my little boy? Why would you not send your kid to his party? And the par- every single parent said, what party? Every single parent, what party? And then mama said, what did you do with the invites? I said, invites? I told everybody when I was seven years old in like grade two. I just told my, I didn't actually give out any invitations. And so my mum, who was really angry at all these parents, had to ring them and repent for being so angry at them because they had no idea about the party. The issue was the invitation wasn't given. I had a party with no one that came up, not because no one wanted to come, but because nobody was really invited. And so you just realize not everyone's going to say no. People are probably more willing to say yes than you think. There will be people that say no. But just for a moment, let me encourage you on how Jesus deals with rejection. In, In verse 11, it says, Whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, The very dust from your city which clings to my feet we wipe off against you. Seriously, Jesus? Anyone who doesn't receive you, go out into the streets and say, the very dust from this city I'm wiping off and we move on to the next town. It's like, Jesus was brutal. But that's how he dealt with rejection. Okay, I'll move on. Do you know, for every person that you're so focused on that's not interested, there might be two, three, four, five people that are so desperately wanting your attention and wanting your invitation and wanting your encouragement. I spent so many years as a youth pastor focused on people who had a stiff arm in my face saying, I'm not interested, and I would try with all of my might to twist their arm and turn them and say, I'm going to get you into the kingdom of God. And while I spent all my time focused on people that were not interested, there was probably 10 or 15 teenagers behind me saying, we're interested, we want to come, we've got to turn our attention to the ones that are interested. Pray for those who who aren't interested. Pray that God would change their heart, but give your attention to the ones that say yes, because not everyone's going to say no. The third myth that I want to bust is the the thought that it's not their thing. It's very similar to the thought that people will say no, but sometimes we can just think that, oh, God's not their thing. Oh, I don't know about church. Church isn't their thing. God's not their thing. Can I say, and I'm sure there's going to be a big amen to this point, that God is everybody's thing. God is everybody's thing. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 said, He's made everything beautiful in its time and placed eternity in every human heart. God is everybody's thing. God is, God is not just the God for the church people. It's not for people that look a certain way. God is everybody's thing and eternity is in every single heart. And he placed it there and it's just waiting to come alive. For some people, it's hidden behind hurt and brokenness. For some people, it's behind apathy. And, and for some people, it's behind anger. But eternity is in every single human heart and God is everybody's thing. God is everybody's thing. I was driving to church. It was actually at Easter time and I was on my way to church. In Perth, and uh, there was a car that was stopped in the middle of the road, and it caught my attention because there was a domestic fight happening in the middle of the road on my way to church, about ten minutes from our, uh, five minutes from our church building, and so I pulled over, and there was this this guy and this woman, and what caught my attention there was about a four-year-old girl, similar age to my daughter, just standing in the road, just crying, as these two adults are, are, are swearing and 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 sort of 
you know, well, the girl was actually hitting him. Like, he wasn't hitting her, but she was hitting him. Like, it was a, it was a big fight. And so I sort of stepped over, feeling a little bit like a lamb amongst wolves. And I, and I sort of, like, intervened. And I'm like, God, please don't let this guy stab me. Amen. All right. So I, I stepped into the fray and I sort of, you know, separated them and sort of calmed the situation down. And um, basically, long story short, um, she wouldn't be near him. And so I said, well, you, why don't you just get into the car and you just go wherever you need to go and I'll drop this guy wherever he needs to go. And so on the way to church, I just stop, pull over, she leaves and then I take this guy to this house which was just around the road. And uh, he, was, he was very drunk, he was sort of um, not in a real cohesive state. And, um, and so I drop him at this house that's just got cars everywhere, stuff everywhere and sort of left it there and, uh, and I went to church. And then the next day, I thought, I just felt like I need to go and invite this guy to church and, and try. hopefully he's not in the same state he was yesterday and we can have a conversation. And, uh, and I went there and no one was there. Like, it was like deserted. The day before, there was about 20 cars, people everywhere. The next day, it was like deserted. And I just sort of thought, oh, I guess, it, I guess it's not meant to be. And now this guy, he was just aggressive, angry, like, he's actually quite small, like, I, I, one of my rationales when I went into to this fight, I thought, I reckon I could beat him in a fight, so uh, I think if it, if it came to that, I think I've got him, I don't know about her, she was white, like, she was, she was going crazy, but I've got him, I reckon I can cover him, but um, the Friday morning of our Good Friday service, we're in the prayer meeting, about 20 minutes before the service starts, and I feel the Holy Spirit say to my heart, go and pick him up. Just as clear as, as, clear as that, that still small voice in your heart can be, go and pick him up. And I'm like, Lord, do you know what time it is? It's like 20 minutes till the service starts and I'm about to leave the prayer meeting. I just go and pick him up. And so I sort of signaled to one of the pastors, I'm, I'm leaving. And he's like, what? And, and then I just left and I drove to his house. And, and as I drove, got into the driveway, um, there was a massive dog in the driveway that just started going absolutely crazy. And I'm not scared of dogs, but I was scared of this one. And I went to get out of the car and it started like biting at my legs. So I got back in the car. I'm like, what are you doing, Lord? Like, did you know there was going to be a dog here? And as, as I was wondering what to do, because there was no one there, I couldn't really get out of the car. I didn't want to kill the dog or anything. So I just stayed in the car. I thought if the dog barks for long enough, someone will hear and they'll come out. And then in a few minutes, this lady sort of came out. And I said, is there a, a mark or a mat? Because I, I knew the guy's name started with M, but I couldn't remember. And she just looked at me funny and then went back inside. And then I almost felt the same feeling as I did the other day when I went there. And I was, I was like, oh, seriously, I guess I didn't hear from God. You know, or like, yeah, good one, God. He's not even awake. You know, like. And then as I was about to back out of the driveway, this guy walks out of the garage. And it's the guy. And he looked at me really funny. And I'm like, oh, Matt. He's like, I said, Mark. He's like, it's Matt. I'm like, Matt. I said, I was just on my way to church, and I just felt like you should come with me. And he just starts crying and says, yeah, I'll come with you. And gets in my car. And at the end of the service, he was the first person at the altar giving his heart to Christ. And then the, that Saturday night, he texts me and said, is it all right if I invite my partner? And she came on the Sunday, and she was the first person at the altar giving her heart to Christ. They brought their kids to the kids' church. And the, the daughter was the first one in the kids' church to give her heart to Christ. 
The next week, they brought their nephews. Two of their nephews gave their hearts to Christ. They come to our Connect group. They're, they're starting to change their whole life. This pattern of drug addiction and anger and violence is, is all changing, and they're on their journey, but they're, they're literally in our house, in our lounge room at Connect group, and, it's, and it all started. Like I looked at this guy. I was like, God is not his thing, but eternity is in every single heart, and God is everybody's thing. And as, as we understand that there is opportunity all around us, Amazing things can happen. I'll get the the keyboard player to come and join me. Last point, the last myth that I want to bust this morning is the lie from the enemy that I'm sure we're all guilty of listening to, and it's the thought, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Um, Just being vulnerable, I want to tell you about what I'm doing tomorrow. I'm actually going to start losing weight tomorrow. Did you know that? I'm doing that tomorrow. I've got... I've been eating a lot in Tasmania, so I need a, Tomorrow I'm starting a diet. Tomorrow I'm going to start doing the dishes a lot more in my house. Tomorrow I'm going to stop yelling at my kids as much as I do uh, tomorrow. I'm going to do so many good things tomorrow. Let me tell you, tomorrow looks brilliant for so many people. But we know what the problem with tomorrow is. But we listen to this lie that, oh, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. But we can't put off till tomorrow what God needs us to do today and when it comes to evangelism when it comes to 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 reaching out when it comes to inviting somebody we we just can't allow that that lie that I'll do it tomorrow to to enter into our psyche I love Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 it says the farmer who waits for perfect weather will never plant if they watch every cloud they'll never harvest there is sometimes a sense in us that we need to when it's more ready, when it's more ripe, when, it's, when, it, when I'm in a better space, when, when it's more aligned, then, then, then I'll go for it. But we understand that tomorrow never comes. And when we put off things till tomorrow, see there's people in your life that you know that the Holy Spirit is, is put in your heart. And even this morning as I'm speaking, even now as we just focus on hearing the Lord, there are people, there's names, there's faces popping into your mind and into your heart. And the Lord's just encouraging you you've got something to say you have authority you have a shepherd there there is something in you that can make an impact in their life but don't wait until tomorrow when I was just saved I wanted to tell everyone about Jesus and I had a neighbor who lived across the road from me his his name was Mr. Page he was about 85 and we had a we had an interesting relationship he was a friend of our family but I'd, uh, I'd smashed about three of his front windows with cricket balls playing backyard cricket. So he sort of liked me, but was also always sending us bills for windows. And, um, and I remember one day, the, I was just having a time of prayer, and I just, I just felt him in my heart so strong to go and tell him about Jesus. And I had no idea about his story. I had no idea about his life. But I just felt this, this sense, oh, I just got to go and tell him. And as this new Christian, I, I felt like this, this, uh, this boldness. But then almost as I got up to go and do it, I just felt this sense of like fear and intimidate, maybe like a lamb amongst wolves. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do it tomorrow because I want, when I go there, I want the glory of God to turn up. I want it to be powerful and I haven't prayed. And, uh, and, and so I'll, I'll spend a day in prayer and, and, uh, and I haven't fasted. I just read a scripture that said sometimes things only happen by prayer and fasting. So I said, you know, I'm going to pray and fast for a day and then I'm going to go and witness to him. 
So I went to school and the next day I, I prayed and I, and I went without food that whole day. And when I was on the way home, I was like, today's the day I'm going to go tell him. And as I got close to his house, whatever it was, this fear, this intimidation, I don't even know why I was scared. But I just said, you know, I'm just going just gonna to keep on. I'm going to go and do it tomorrow. And, um, and so the next day was the day I was going to do it. And I, I was woo, full of faith. I was excited. I, almost like the fear had fully left me. There was like I knew without a shadow of a doubt that today was the day that he was going to get saved, that it was going to be powerful, that he was going to cry repentance tears, and it was going to be just an amazing moment. And when I got home from school, as I was walking towards my house, my dad's car was in the driveway. And he's not normally home for hours after I get home. And as I went inside, I saw him sitting at the kitchen table. And he was crying. I said, Dad, why are you home? And he's like, I just got a phone call that Mr. Page passed away last night. And I just broke into this uncontrollable mess. Because two days before, I felt the Lord say go and tell him about Jesus but I never got to have that opportunity and I don't know about his story and I don't know his life maybe he was a Christian maybe I I got no idea about his story and I never felt the Lord condemn me and I never felt a guilt but I felt an incredible sadness and I felt this sense of God please whenever you put someone in my heart again don't let me wait till tomorrow don't let me put it off don't let me wait because don't let me put off until tomorrow what you want me to do today understand you've got something to say you have authority you have a shepherd and there are so many people that will be deeply impacted by your story and by your testimony there are so many people yet to walk through the doors of this church and your invitation is probably the thing that will bring them into the kingdom of God maybe the way that you supply generosity or love the way that you pray for somebody the way that you love on somebody the way that you share Jesus with somebody can deeply impact somebody's life forever and I want to take a moment this morning just to pray and awaken a sense of boldness and courage and faith to reach the people around us that God has given us the ability to reach maybe if we could close our eyes and and bow our heads just for a moment God has anointed you God has called you and you have a greater power than you realize you know when it comes to evangelism Sometimes we think crowds, we think the Reinhardt bonkies, but all you're accountable for is what God is asking you to do. And it might be a neighbor, it might be a, a father, it might be a, a child that's away from God. Whatever it is, whoever it is, God has given you an incredible power and ability to see freedom come into their life. Jesus loves each and every person in this world so much. In fact, maybe you're here right now and and you're invited by a friend today, maybe you're not walking with the Lord, and we would love in every service to give you the opportunity to choose to start and continue a relationship with Jesus. And if you're perhaps in this moment not walking with the Lord, maybe you've never heard about Jesus before, or just maybe where you're at in your life, your relationship with God has grown cold. What a great moment and opportunity right now to say, Jesus, I want to make you the Lord and Savior of my life. And And just actually in this moment with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you this morning and you are not walking with Jesus and today you would make a decision to make him Lord, to start a journey with him, I'd love to pray for you and I'm not going to embarrass you or do anything, but just so I know who I can pray for this morning, if that's you and today you would say, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life, would you just raise your hand? I'll see it. You can put it down and we'll pray together. Yeah, awesome, man. I can see your hand there. 
God bless you. Going to pray. Yeah, going to pray for both of you. Anyone else this morning? Just raise up your hand in the air. Nice and high. Yeah, I can see you. See your hand up the back there. Is there anyone else today? Jesus, he died on the cross for, for you so that you could know him, be in a relationship with him. Is there anyone else today? Just one more time. If that's you and you're not walking with the Lord, you, I think that there's a couple of people and you were, you've sort of been around church, but you know you're not really walking with Jesus. He loves you. He doesn't condemn you. But today he's saying, hey, come back. I've got an incredible life, incredible purpose for you. And today just let the journey with Jesus reignite again. If that's you, just give me a wave really quick. Yeah, God bless you. Can I pray for you? Yeah, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You know, for those who just raise their hand, I'm just about to pray for you. What I encourage you to do is after the service, just at the connect point up the back, would you just come before you rush off and, and just chat to us about what it means to walk with Jesus. We want to give you a, a Bible and pray with you just in the privacy of a, of a real moment um, because the decision to follow Jesus is the most incredible and powerful and important decision that you'll ever make. And I just want to pray for you right now and come and join us and come and see us after the service at the back of the auditorium. But God, I just thank you for the three or four people right now just raise their hand and Lord, would you just let your love touch their heart? Would you let purpose and grace just fill their life? Lord, as, as, as we repent, Lord, we, we know that we've fallen short. We know that we've made mistakes, but you, you died on the cross for all of those. And Lord, with repentance in our hearts, we say, Lord, forgive us. And Lord, we just say, would you let purpose come alive in the mighty name of Jesus? Lord, we love you. And I pray your favor and your blessing on each of these people today in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.